Welcome to Sunny Side Up, B2B podcast produced by Demand Matrix. I'm Mithul Shah, and it's my pleasure to be a host for the day. Hello, and welcome to Sunny Side Up. My name is Mithul Shah. I am CEO and the founder of Demand Matrix. It's a pleasure to have Jay McBain, Principal Analyst of Global Channel at Forrester on Sunny Side Up, podcast hosted by Demand Matrix. Jay leads Forrester's research and advisory for Global Channels, Alliance, and Partnership. So we are going to talk and discuss the future of channel marketing within B2B and tech marketing domain with Jay today. Given his extensive background in channel partnerships, sales, marketing, and operations, and I'm sure this will be a very interesting and insightful conversation. So I think there's a lot to be covered and learned from him. So Jay, welcome to Sunny Side Up. Well, thank you so much for having me. Jay, can you tell a little bit about yourself, your charter, your work experience, you know, your hobby, what keeps you, I think I know what's going to keep you up at night this uh, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday, but we'd love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. It's not sunny side up in Florida this weekend. We're getting ready for category four, which right now is going to land about 20 miles north of my house. And I'm a Canadian living in Florida. So this is going to be an interesting rookie experience at a hurricane. So that's what we're thinking about. In terms of me, I've spent uh, 25 years in the channel. I've worked for big companies like IBM and Lenovo running channels. I've worked for mid-sized companies. I actually started a company and was CEO of a channel software company that did uh, channel AI mobility, social, some really interesting things. Two years ago, I went over to Forrester to oversee kind of the channel opportunity worldwide, which by the way is huge. 75% of the world in all industries goes through indirect channels. So I get to cover it and I get to cover beyond technology as well. So it's a really exciting space and it keeps me busy. That's amazing. I mean, as we were having this conversation before this podcast, I didn't know the stats that 75% of the world is indirect and some of these large companies, you know, sell, you know, 80, 90% of their revenues coming from channel. So that was amazing. Yeah. Usually when I'm in front of an audience, I say, you know, think about the last time you bought a car, you know, it was from a dealer. Yeah. Think about the last time you bought a TV was from a retailer. Think about the last time you bought a jar of peanut butter was from a grocer. Yeah. If you flip it around the other way, start thinking about your personal life and your professional life and think about what you didn't buy from a channel. So what do you actually buy direct from manufacturer today? Unless you bought a Dell computer back in the day, or unless you bought Geico insurance, like there's only a few examples of where you actually work with the manufacturer. That's definitely very interesting as I was kind of thinking about it. So, well, for our audience who may or may not, you know, know, you know, much about this particular topic. So why are the channel partners you know, partnerships and alliances, you know, are crucial for B2B tech marketing, you know, segment. And with this advent of this whole SaaS, you know, where companies are moving more towards subscription model, how that model is kind of changing? Well, there's been a huge change in the last 18 months. For 37 years, and I was at IBM in the early days, we looked at channels as a resale channel. Let's set up these franchise locations and they can sell our product into each little town and city across the world. And it really extended your sales force. Well, what, you know, the new cloud and SaaS and even infrastructure companies are seeing that the buying model has changed. So it used to be like an IT or CIO, IT department type of buyer, where yeah. 65% of all buying today in B2B is done outside of IT. You may have heard the CMO spends more on technology than the CIO. Oh, yeah. You've got all these line of business executives now. They're spending 51% of their time on tech. So they're getting very engaged in the technology side, and that's causing every company in every industry is becoming a tech company. 
every service company in every industry, think of the accountants, think of the legal companies, think of the digital agencies, they're all becoming tech services companies. The world is coming into technology. So these new buyers, they look like consumers when they spend the first 68% of their time trying to figure out what to do. There's a bunch of people that are influencing them at that part of the journey. And then everything subscription in, in SaaS. So the journey never ends. The retention, the renewal, the upsells, the entire life cycle of that journey is influenced by different partners along the way. And these companies need these channels to make sure that that customer buys them and then continues to buy them long term. My version of channel, you know, when I was kind of thinking about it, was like, it's like an extension of sales, like sales channel. You engage with a certain channel and then they have essentially the sales force that will take a product and essentially sell it more like a reseller. But the SaaS model, that model is also kind of changing as you're explaining. Yeah. I would say that uh, the one example I used is, you know, one of the biggest SaaS companies is Salesforce. They looked at their company and they're about 13 billion today. And to double the size of their company in the next four years, which is their plan, they need to recruit 250,000 new partners. That's how critical the channel is to Salesforce. What's interesting at the exact same time, they shut down this reselling part of the program. So 100% of these new partners are going to be non-transacting partners that show up at different times of that buying cycle of the customer. So they know that Salesforce needs to be installed and implemented, integrated, secured, made compliant, it has to have business continuity. They list off, you know, 17 other tech services that you need to do to make Salesforce work in your environment. It costs a customer on average $4.14 for every dollar they spend with Salesforce. And that's the channel opportunity is 4X. You spend a hundred grand on Salesforce. It's a half a million dollar project to actually get it to do what you want it to do. That's amazing. So I think the observation which you're talking about, it's moving away from being a sales channel to more of a value-added partnership or more of an ISV model where the math is one is to four. It is. And, you know, by the way, the resale channel doesn't go away. It kind of plateaus and stays pretty much the same. For 37 years now, we understand sales channels. You build up a gold, silver, bronze type of program. You have to do about 90 different things as part of the program. You have to recruit and onboard the partner, educate them, train them, certify them. You have to incent them, motivate them, drive loyalty. You have to co-sell and co-market with them. So underneath all these things, there's about 90 different components to doing that. But there's about 10,000 channel programs today just in the tech space. And you know the leaders of those programs, it's pretty much a commodity, table stakes in terms of how you do that. The parallel program we're talking about here, though, is a new ecosystem. There could be dozens of different types of companies. I talked about digital agencies in the case of demand matrix. Like I would see six or seven different kinds of companies that could both drive demand for you early in the customer journey, that could get that customer to vendor selection, could get them through the actual acquisition of your product, and then long-term be able to ensure success. Make sure it's sticky, make sure they renew, you retain them, they're upselling, they're cross-selling. So you've got them for the entire long-term journey. And this is the new set of partners. Very interesting. Is that the change or the shift that you're seeing in some of these best-run tech companies which thrive on partner strategies? What are the shifts, like you talked about, you know, past 37 years, you know, you have been essentially 
helping companies and even running your companies uh, or building softwares doing this. What are the major shifts that you are observing in the last two decades or three decades? Yeah, I'd say there's two major changes. One is the programs of the past. Managing a channel in the past has been a very linear exercise. I talked about, you know, from left to right, being able to find and recruit partners all the way to co-marketing with them. Everything's pretty predictable. And you may have a hundred partners. You may have a thousand partners. Some companies have tens of thousands. Microsoft has 400,000 partners, but it's a very linear path in terms of the journey you take the partner on. In this new world, it's an ecosystem and it's non-linear. So it's more celestial. You've got maybe 10 times or a hundred times as many partners coming in. So you can't manage them the same way. Also, they all do different things and they may care about different things. So what you're really concerned about, for example, if you're Microsoft, who is now recruiting 7,500 new partners a month and 80% of them are these new kind of ecosystem partners, they want to make sure that when the stars and moon align in this celestial structure, that they have the right tools in place, they have the right processes in place, they have the right technology in place to make sure that that partner's enabled and engaged and can make it happen for Microsoft in front of the customer. And that's really the difference. You still have to go through some of those 90 different things I talked about, but now it's not so linear. Now you're kind of doing things at a more on-demand level and the resources that you have out there and the structure of your program is much more fluid than it was in the past. In case of these large companies, you know, I guess who have done this thing, they probably know how to do these things and they probably can understand and, you know, make these changes and so forth. The companies that are you know, either getting started or even thinking about some of these aspects, when is the right time to even think about or build the channel? I would say it's, it's kind of like the franchise model. You look back to McDonald's in the early days, you look at Dunkin' Donuts in the early days, any of these franchises you have in your strip mall. When you get to the point where things are repeatable, when you get to the point where your processes, your policies, all the different parts of your business can almost work on their own. If you're out of the mode of, you know, your CEO has to jump on every sales call, your engineers have to fly into the customer and customize everything. And once you're out of the phase where it's more of a sausage maker, and now you can expand, you know, for example, you're really good at selling coffee and you're going to go sell coffee in 10 other locations. And you find that you're just as good doing it there, or at least 90% is good. Now you can get to a hundred locations, to a thousand locations, to 10,000 locations, and everything becomes this scalable franchise model of this well-oiled machine that you've built internally. If you don't feel comfortable that you have a well-oiled machine yet, you're going to waste money and time and effort trying to build a channel on something that isn't locked in yet. So how do you evaluate in this case that if channel is working or not, or even, you know, some companies might think that I have repeatable process and I should think about going and building a channel, but maybe they don't. Yeah. Measurements and metrics and, and KPIs are probably one of the most difficult things. I would say for companies that are venture backed and have a board or private equity backed, one of the challenges is the average channel takes between 18 months to two years to build. You actually don't have a positive return for quite a while. And when you're a smaller company, two years is forever. The point though is a good board, you know, some of these more mature venture capitalists will actually look at your sales metric every time you, you know, sit down with them. And that's the reason they ask for all these numbers because they're going to be able to predict when your direct selling motions start to hit a plateau. There's a point in every company where you just can't scale your direct sales and marketing fast enough to meet the demands 
of the hockey stick curve you're on. So if you're able to predict that plateau two years ahead of time, you then put in a channel leader, you start to build that channel, you make those investments that are necessary. And right as that plateau hits, the channel then takes on the amplification and you even steer that hockey stick up upwards as you get that acceleration into the marketplace. That's the key is being able to find that particular point and back it out two years sooner. I didn't anticipate that it takes around 18 months or two years you know, for a channel to be productive and start producing. So in, in that situation, you talked about repeatable process and you, you need to have a repeatable process. But if you ask me that after two years, are you going to have a repeatable process? I'm sure probably 90% of the business would say, yes, you know, I'm going to have that. So should they be thinking about building a channel, even if they don't have repeatable process right now? It makes it more difficult because one of the things about building a channel is they can be very fickle as well. So this isn't somebody, by the way, take it away from the franchise example. At least with Dunkin' Donuts, somebody's going to put $150,000. They're going to put their life savings down on building out the restaurant. So they're probably going to have to be forced to have a little bit of patience with you. In this case, they don't. There's 175,000 SaaS companies today. About 30% of them are at that stage right now of building a channel. So in the MarTech stack, for example, you know, you got 7,000 logos. And there's probably 50 competitors at any one point in time. So as a partner, if your vendor doesn't have things in place and you feel that it's costing you a lot of money, the return on invested capital that you're, you're making isn't being returned, the cost of entry is very low, the cost of change is very low, they will forget you fast. So you don't want to go into building a channel if things aren't buttoned down. And that's why you've got to make this determination if you do are truly repeatable as opposed to just trying to put a Band-Aid on it. That kind of makes sense. Our audience, you know, for this podcast tends to be more of a marketer, um, you know, all kind of marketer. And this whole advent of data-driven approaches, you know, towards marketing. Any recommendation to the marketers who are listening to this as to how to build this data-driven program for channel? Yeah, I work at a B2B marketing group inside Forrester. So that tells you how close, you know, channel is to the audience. And by the way, we look at the buyer very specifically. We look at every moment in the journey. And that 68% of the early journey where they're spending researching and Googling and working on peer networks and social networks and watching videos, doing all the things they do, there is a better chance that there are partners influencing your potential customer than you as a direct marketer. So when you do some Googling of potential customers, a certain buyer in a certain industry, in a certain geography, in a certain sector or size of customer looking for a certain technology, for example. If you look at those five vectors and you just do some interesting Google searches, you're going to find potential partners sitting right on the first couple of pages of Google. These are people that are maybe generating the white papers, the eBooks, the podcasts, the webinars, really the content that's influencing a customer in that early journey. We find that these customers actually bring in these folks in many cases, to help them from a consulting perspective, help them get to vendor selection before they ever talk to a salesperson, either at your company or even at that partner. So it's important that early in the journey, you understand who the people are that influence your customer. You really ask three questions. What does your customer read? Where does your customer go? And who does your customer follow? The influencers or the super connectors that they follow. Your early partner strategy is to understand all those spheres of influence and start building out these players as channels. 
They know about you. They're friendly with you. And they're going to get you into the conversation earlier with that customer, which is going to translate into vendor selection going your way without an RFP or procurement getting involved. So I think if you switch a gear a little bit to the role, right, like a channel partner analyst or a channel partner manager, how is the role kind of evolving, you know, over time with this whole SaaS model and all the different technologies, you know, at play now? Yeah, I wrote a really big piece early this week. It's gone a little bit viral on that. And the idea is that the channel manager of the future is not as linear anymore, as I talked about earlier. In the past, you might have one partner if it's a big one, but 5, 10, 20, 30, whatever is in your territory. And you look like a salesperson, but more on the relationship side, because not only are you facilitating deals, but you're trying to implement the program and keep them happy. And it's a little bit of a dance. You're still going to have those for your top partners, but the future of the channel manager looks more like a community manager. Again, when you're in a mode here that I'm talking about bringing on 250,000 new partners or bringing on 7,500 a month, that's at the top scale. But even bringing on hundreds a month is at a scale where you can't do it one-on-one. You need people that are, and now you flip those questions around to your partners. What do they read? Where do they go? Who do they follow? I published the 54 magazines, the 150 trade shows. I actually published the 100 super connectors in this space. And I do that on my blog. But these are the people that are most important in terms of building a channel, recruiting a channel, and really building out an indirect sales strategy. So as a channel manager, you're more of a community manager, interacting with all these key places in terms of where they hang out and where they get influenced and not doing this one-on-one management that we've had in the past. It's very interesting. Can uh, people read uh, more about your blog and if they need more insights on on this topic? Uh, you can go to uh, Forrester and just type in my name, Jay McBain, or you can just type in channel Jay McBain. It'll come up page one on Google and uh, you know take a look at some of the other angles. I keep track of the technology. There's 106 companies that build channel software. That's kind of an interesting way of looking at the market. I look at obviously the partners themselves and all these shadow channels that are flooding in. And um, you know I spend most of my time kind of predicting where all this is going to end up 18 months, two years, three years, five, 10 years from now. And you know what you can do as a marketer today, as a salesperson today to get ready for the future. Awesome. No wonder you were running a predictive analytics channel company before. Yeah. I love to count. If you look at my blog, a lot of it's just counting stuff that nobody's ever counted. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's what they say, you know, when you're having fun, time flies by. So thank you so much for giving us your time on Sunny Side Up. I sincerely learned a lot, you know, from this and really enjoyed every bit of insight you shared. Maybe next time we'll get you over to talk about some controversial B2B and marketing topics or maybe what your future predictions are for channel and channel strategy. So until next time, thank you so much. And uh, thanks for participating on Sunny Side Up. Absolutely. Sounds like uh, show number two. Thank you.